the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan devise a plan to test Saul's true intentions. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 18. The title of the message is A Disappointed Heart. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 20, remember the whole theme of 1 Samuel is lessons from the heart. We started chapter 20 with David, he's running to Jonathan because of this conflict with Saul and he wants to know what's going on. Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan disagrees. He doesn't believe that's the case. He thinks that it's just probably the demon that's affecting his father. And so we see them move through this conflict and they come to a resolution. And yet while David and Jonathan have resolved their conflict, it still remains to be seen which of them is correct. Only one of them can be right. And so Jonathan is going to part from David to talk with his father, and Saul's response is going to leave both Jonathan and David greatly disappointed. And it can be very challenging when your heart is broken to move forward. It is very difficult to move forward, to wrestle with like how to move forward, I should say when that happens. But as we watch Jonathan and David do both move forward, we watch them both doing so, may we learn valuable lessons for when our own hearts experience great disappointment. So chapter 20, let's begin in verse 18. It says, And Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you shall be missed, because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed three days, and you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you did hide yourself when the business was in hand, and you shall remain by the stone as And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad saying, go, find out the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then you come, for there is peace to you and no hurt as the Lord lives. But if I say thus unto the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. As touching the matter which you and I have spoken of, behold, the Lord be between you and me forever. Jonathan and David, they spend the first 17 verses of this chapter hammering out their own friendship issues, but there's still some details that need to be ironed out so that David can successfully go in peace, like Jonathan prayed over him in verse 13, when he said, the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan, but if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it you and send you away that you may go in peace. That is Jonathan's blessing upon David, that he will be able to go in peace no matter what happens. 
But for that to happen, they've got to work out how they're going to communicate what's going on, how they will find out, how Jonathan will communicate to David whether he can come back or whether he needs to go in peace. And so here we see that Jonathan tells David, this is the plan I'm going to offer. He says, tomorrow is the new moon and you shall be missed because your seat will be empty. My father will notice you are missing, David. Your seat will be counted is what that means. And when you have stayed three days, then you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you did hide yourself when the business was in hand. The business there is the last time that David went into hiding. Remember the last time that Saul tried to kill him and David had to go into hiding and uh, Jonathan came out and he came out to the field with Saul and he said, Dad, why are you telling people that you're going to execute David? And he convinces Saul to change his mind. And so he brings David out from where he was hiding and he brings him back to Saul and things for a very short time, are reconciled. So here he says, go hide in the same spot for three days. And after that time, by the stone Ezel, the word Ezel means departure. So it's possible that that stone was named by David after this happened. Maybe he called it departure because that's how things are going to end up. Spoilers, sorry. He says, but I will shoot three arrows at the side thereof as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad saying, go and find out the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, go get them, then come thou. In other words, you come out of hiding, for there is peace to you and no hurt as the Lord lives. In other words, we will go back and see my father just like we did last time. I was able to convince him to do no harm to you. And the phrase he adds, as the Lord lives, as my oath to you, David, I will be honest with you. I'm not tricking you here. I'm not a part of any plan to hurt you. But... That's the plan if things go well. What about if things go badly? Well, Jonathan, verse 22, tells him this is the plan if things go badly. But if I say thus unto the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go your way. He says to David, you go your way because the Lord has sent you away. That's interesting. Jonathan reminds David that the Lord is still in charge, even though David's going to be a fugitive. You might be saying, how can it ever be God's will for me to be a fugitive? (laughs) How can it ever be God's will for something like this to happen to me? But Jonathan understood that even though we don't always understand why the Lord allows things into our lives, that he, if he has allowed it to happen, if it happens, he's allowed it to happen. It is important to remember that while God does not make wicked men do wicked things, God does have a plan for us when those wicked things happen to us. And I must learn to trust God's wisdom and to follow his lead when that happens. This is where the big struggle comes in. It's not so much when wicked things happen or wrong things are done to us. I think all of us, to some degree, have experienced wrong done to us because we live in a fallen world. You know, if you are married, particularly if you're my spouse, you've experienced wrongdoing because you've experienced it from me. You have experienced wrong to some degree. So it's not a question of whether we're going to experience wrongdoing or evil or wicked treatment. The question is always going to be, are we going to trust God's wisdom and do things his way? Will we really believe what he says is good and right? We trust him. When we were at the pastor's conference uh, a couple weeks ago, this was a huge challenge to me. One of the pastors said, Uh, Pastor Malcolm, he said, we trust in the power of God. He goes, why is it that we struggle to trust in the wisdom of God? Man, it was like, you know, (laughs) I know all things are Christ who strengthens me. 
Accept this thing here that Jesus tells me is best for me. Because if I do that, I don't think things are going to work out for the best for me. And there are numerous things in Scripture that the Lord tells us to do that are greatly challenging to us. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to listen. I don't know about you, but that's never come easy to me. Because it's not my nature. It's the Lord's nature. As Jonathan says to David, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as touching the matter which you and I have spoken of, referring to their conflict that they had had, and they came to renew their covenant with one another, he says, behold, the Lord will be between you and me forever. Their matter was the covenant that they would not harm one another's family. However, this turns out, David, if you and my father become enemies, we've agreed we will not be enemies. We will not do harm to one another. and We will not do harm to one another's families because remember, that's how culture was back then. You hurt my family, I have to hurt your family. It's just how it was, Hatfield and McCoy's. And so he says, the Lord heard our promise that we be made. He'll be between us. And he will deal with us if we're unfaithful to that promise. If you go back on your word, the Lord will deal with you. If I go back on my word, the Lord's gonna deal with me. And so it's interesting. We remember Jonathan in the scripture for being a good friend, but we must never forget that he was a godly man. He was a good friend to David, but he tells David here, he says, listen, the Lord was witness to the covenant we made. He was witness to the promises we made to one another and he will be there and he will deal with us if we don't honor our word. He reminds David, David, going your way may involve some hard times, but it is so important that you remember your promise. I will remember mine. It's important to be a good friend but it's also important to be a godly person. It's important to be both. I have found many people who are good friends, but they are not godly people. And very frequently, the counsel that they will give me is well-meaning and well-intended, but bad counsel. And sometimes I will talk to Christians who say, well, these people at work that I'm close with, or, you know, this, this, and I ask them, I always say, are they a believer? Are they telling you what God's word says? Well, no. And I say, listen, they may mean well. They may mean well, but if their counsel is not lining up with what God says to do, then it's not good counsel. So be a good friend and be a godly person. Be a godly man or woman as well. Well, verse 24, here we go. Jonathan's going to confront his father. So verse 24, David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon was come, the king sat down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. The place by the wall would be the back wall, the place of honor. It would be in the opposite entrance to the room. And so when you come in, everyone would see that spot, usually an elevated spot against the wall. So the king saw he is there sitting upon his seat like he normally would. And Jonathan arose, it says, verse 25, it says, Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side. In other words, Jonathan had been sitting by his father's side, but when Abner, he's the general of the armies, he is Saul's, I believe, cousin. And uh, we'll get to know Abner a little bit more as we move through the scriptures, but his, I don't think he's uncle. I think he's his cousin. But Abner, the son of Ner, he gets that place of honor at Saul's right hand. And so Jonathan gets up to give Abner the seat. 
And as Jonathan is getting up to move away from his father, he noticed that David's place was empty. So as Jonathan's getting up, that's when Saul notices the place that David normally sits is empty. Nevertheless, verse 26, Saul did not speak anything on that first day of the feast, for he thought something had befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Ritually, being unclean could happen from lots of different things. Um, I don't want to go into all the details of what could make you unclean because that means we'd have to go through much of the book of Leviticus. But based on certain things that would make you unclean, ritually unclean, it didn't mean that you had leprosy or anything like that. That was a different kind of an unclean. But ritually unclean meant you couldn't come to the tabernacle. You could not come and worship. Uh, You were not supposed to be in contact with others for 24 hours because you would become unclean if you did so. In Leviticus 22, verses 3 through 7, it states this 24-hour period where you need to be separate from everyone else. In Leviticus 22, verse 3, it says, Say unto them, whomsoever he be of all your seed among your generations, that goes unto the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow unto the Lord, that they set apart, offer to him. Having his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. When a man so over the seed of Aaron is a leper, has a running sore, a running issue, uh, you don't want to go back there. That was a rough sermon. He shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. And whosoever touches anything that is unclean by the dead, or of a man whose seed goes from him, or whosoever touches any creeping thing, whereby he may be made unclean, or a man of whom he may take uncleanness, whatsoever kind of uncleanness he has, it doesn't matter. The soul which has touched any such thing shall be unclean until the evening, until 6 p.m., shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. And then when the sun has gone down, so when it's the next day, he shall be clean and shall afterward eat of the holy things because it is his food. So it's not that they couldn't celebrate, they just needed to wait 24 hours. And so Saul's thinking in his mind, he's like, well, where's David? Surely he must be, that's the only reason he wouldn't be here. He's got to be richly unclean. He's he's taking a 24-hour break. It's a bit odd to me that Saul sent soldiers to come kill David. He went himself to go kill David, ends up preaching a sermon, tearing his clothes, you know, at the very least, Saul's an emotional wreck who can't make up his mind in David's eyes. And it's a bit surprising to me, a bit odd to me, that the only reason he can come up for David's absence is, well, he must be unclean. Oh, you know, he saw, do you think maybe it's because he tried to kill him? Nah, that can't be it. Perhaps Saul even thought that ripping his clothes and prophesying That should have convinced David that David was safe. Perhaps Saul had even deceived himself into thinking he dealt with his sin. I don't know why Saul thought this way. But I will say this to you. When I'm not right with the Lord, my thinking is usually quite off. When I'm not right with the Lord, my thinking tends to be off. I tend to read situations incorrectly. I tend to assume things that are the farthest thing from the truth. And I make decisions based upon unsound thinking. So Saul, he can't figure out why David's not there. He must be unclean. So verse 27, the next day, it says, Nevertheless, Saul didn't say anything. Verse 27, it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty again. He's not there again. And so Saul says unto Jonathan, his son, Wherefore, which means why, why comes not the son of Jesse to meet, to eat, neither yesterday nor today? 
if he was unclean, 24 hours should have been enough. Why isn't he here tonight? Why wasn't he here today or yesterday if he's not unclean? And so Jonathan answered Saul, verse 28. He says, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said to me, let me go, I pray you, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother, he has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, he's saying this is what David asked him, let me get away, I pray you, and see my brethren. Therefore, or this is why, he comes not under the king's table. So Jonathan goes ahead, uses David's lie, and then he adds this bit about David's brother to get a response from Saul. But Saul doesn't just respond. Saul sees right through the lie. Verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And there's some PG-13 language here, guys. Close the women, hide your children. And he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own confusion and unto the confusion of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Wherefore now, send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Now, remember, this is not a private conversation. This is in the middle of a feast. Hey, Jonathan. Why hasn't David come to the feast? Why didn't he come yesterday? Why is he not here today? Jonathan tells the story, and Saul just erupts in anger. He says to them, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Now, that is not, the word woman is not in the original Hebrew, okay? It is not likely that he was insulting, basically, his wife and saying, you're not my kid, you're her kid. That's not what Saul's saying here. You know, Your mother's a horrible person. You're clearly her kid and not my son. That's not what he's saying here. The word woman's not in the original Hebrew. If you have an old King James, it's actually in italics. It was very common back then to call wicked people sons of Satan or sons of sin. And the word perverse is just another way to say sinful. So what basically Saul is saying here is not insulting his parentage from his mother's side. What he is doing is saying, you might be an Israelite, Jonathan, but you act like a son of Satan. That's what he's telling him. You act like a son of Satan. You're not acting like my kid. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own confusion means disgrace and shame? I know about your friendship with David. I've known all along. I know you've chosen him to your own disgrace, and to your own shame. He says, under the confusion, the shame, the disgrace, and now mother, I think this is why they put woman up there because of the comment made here at the end. He said, unto the shame of your mother's nakedness. Jonathan, you have exposed our family. By choosing David over me, you have exposed yourself. You've exposed your entire family to danger. And by doing this, Everything I fought to win will never be yours. Because as long as David is alive, it will never be yours. Now, here we see Saul's heart. All this jealousy that we've been seeing in the past, all this concept of how the Lord told him and said, because of your sin, I have ripped the kingdom from you. Remember when he grabbed Samuel's cloak And it ripped, and Samuel looked at him and said, in the same way you've torn my cloak, God has ripped the kingdom from you. You have persisted in your rebellion. You've persisted in your stubbornness. You cannot be king anymore, Saul. And Saul said, no, I have fought too hard to get this. 
and no one's going to take it from me. All of those thoughts, all the jealousy, everything that he saw David as a threat to what he had built, not what the Lord gave him, but what he had built, we see it all verbalized in the statement to Jonathan. For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Wherefore now, send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Wherefore means, I'll give you a chance to fix that, Jonathan. You can fix everything right now. You go get David, and you bring him here. I know you know where he is. And I'll put him to death, and this threat will be gone to our family, to our kingdom, to the kingdom you're going to have someday. And Jonathan says unto his father, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, verse 32, Wherefore, why? Why shall he be slain? What has he done? Jonathan is truly stunned by his father's words. This has never come out like this before. Saul had said, we got to kill David, but, but Jonathan had convinced him otherwise. This is wrong. Father, this is sin for you to do this. He has done nothing wrong. And so Saul changed his mind. And so he really believed that it was just all these circumstances that had influenced his father in a way that he had convinced himself that this had to be done. And so he's stunned at this confession. Jonathan really believed that David had overreacted or misunderstood somehow. And now that it's out there, Jonathan's asking why. Why? What has he done? Like Jonathan had in the past, he confronts his father's sin by asking what wrong David is to be executed for. Dad, you don't just get to kill people whenever you want just because you're king. And Saul's response is, watch me. Look at verse 33. And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Whatever shock Jonathan was in at that moment, whatever confusion was in his mind, whatever he didn't understand, everything became crystal clear in the moment the spear came hurling in the air towards him. That his father truly believed he had the right to kill whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted, whether wrong was done or not. And so Jonathan, verse 34, he knows David is right and there could be no reconciliation. And so, verse 34, Jonathan arose from the table. It says, in fierce anger. It means with face flushed, his nostrils flaring. Jonathan is livid. And he did eat no meat the second day. He couldn't stay a moment longer at the feast. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. While Jonathan's anger was certainly a match for his father's, it was a different kind of anger, though. The word grieved means to be distressed. And he was distressed because Saul's very public words, his public accusation that David wanted the throne, he knew that David would never be the same. His life would never be the same after that. He was angry because he was brokenhearted for his friend. Jonathan knows it because Saul has humiliated David by calling him a rebel in front of everyone. David, as much as he might try to clear his name, won't be able to do so, not in a way that Jonathan hopes for. 
So Jonathan was angry because of the wrong his father had done, certainly, but he was distressed because how was his innocent friend to have any kind of life as a public fugitive? And I imagine his heart was equally devastated for his father. Jonathan wasn't a fool. He never ignored his father's faults or his father's sins. But he'd seen good things too, hadn't he? Surely there's some desire to serve the Lord, even though there's some of these bad choices. Whatever good things that Jonathan saw, he realized that's not going to weigh in here. This was horrifying to him. If you've ever had someone you loved or respected do something awful, you know what that feels like. It's a great betrayal. It wasn't just that they did wrong, but they were so selfish they didn't think about how that wrong would affect the people who loved them the most. So if you're a, a husband or a parent or some other kind of leader, remember that people who love you are watching your life. They believe the best about you, just like Jonathan did about his father. They don't ignore your faults. They believe the best about you, and they're trusting you to make good choices. If you're in one of those roles and you're making selfish choices, I urge you to repent. Because one of the biggest lies out there is that my sin just affects me. That's not true. Our sin affects everyone around us. Sometimes it wounds people very deeply. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.